Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This market had some real year 2000 style cross currents going today. It was a whippy session. Dow gained 191 points, just like in 2000 when the Dow did well. S&P rallied 0.56%, but the Nasdaq lost 0.38%. And that was exactly like the year that we call the turn of the century. After this kind of day where you're starting to think that maybe the Nasdaq's rolling over, you know what we need to do? You need to search for some sort of totem that can help point us in the right direction. Make us feel like the programs, the buy and the sell, and the buy and the sell are working for us, not against us. I say programs, by the way, because no human trading desk would buy Chevron up four bucks, sell the Cloud Kings down two, three, four, five percent. It makes no sense. Humans wait for the bids to build, and then they hit them. They wait for the offers, and then they take them. But machines, they just go wild. Running up some stocks, cratering others, which is why, in the end, those who swear by these algorithms are doomed to lose money. Anytime you buy uh, high and then you sell low, uh, you're planning on losing hand. Even if you're astute at telling a good clinical story unemotionally to potential investors who don't know any better and really think that you sound very smart. And believe me, that is how it's played in this game. What can we count on then when there's so much choppiness? With so many programs moving stocks around like they're Lincoln Logs or Spinners or Silly Putty. Here, this is an algorithm. Okay, here, take that. Insider buying. That's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, ball insiders sell for all kinds of reasons. Never, these were hot for a while. Uh, they only buy for one reason, okay? They sell for many different reasons, you know, divorce, real, you know, real uh, estate planning, whatever. They buy to make money. Insider buying, look, we got this morning with IBM, a stock that has fallen from 153 to 115 in less than a month, with the last chunk coming because sellers hate it. No, they despise. No, they abhorred IBM's purchase of Red Hat for $34 billion. Until today, that is. That's right. Until today, when we learned that five board members, including the CEO, Ginny Rometty, purchased a ton of shares. And what happened? Well, the stock rallied 4%. How much did they buy? Okay, here it goes. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Ginny Rometty, who came on the show last week to talk about the Red Hat deal, she purchased $3 million worth of her company stock with her own money. That's right, her own money. $1 million in the open market, $2 million through an IBM retirement fund. Four board members bought stock, too. Buy, 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 buy. There's a Sidney Torrell from Eli Lilly, smart fella. 
bought nearly $500,000 worth. James Owens, remember him from Cat? Good man, $116,000. Rick Waddell from Northern Trust, $250,000 worth. And Joe Swedish from Anthem, $233,000 a month. Hey, these guys are all hitters. Not only that, but Martin Schroeder, senior executive that we've had on the show before, he bought $575,000 worth. All these buys were made by insiders who could have purchased far fewer shares and still made an impact. This was the first open market purchase that Remedi has made. It's a real commitment, especially when you consider that two-thirds of her comp is stock-based already. She has a gigantic position here, much larger than most CEOs, and she's like, oh, man, it's like she's doubling down. Now, does that mean you should just blindly buy IBM? Why don't we go over the fundamentals first? I think the Red Hat acquisition was actually a bold move, a good move, a move they needed to do. I wouldn't shun this combination just because the cloud stocks have suddenly fallen out of favor. IBM needed to do something big, big, big. And uh, they needed to grow much faster than they're growing, especially because the last couple of quarters, which were truly uninspiring. I am a huge fan of Jim Whitehurst, the CEO of Red Hat. You know that if you've watched the show. He's produced a terrific growth company with real cash flow. It's not some just, you know, revenue thing. It makes money. It's got a real mission to help other businesses adapt to the cloud. Of course, these insiders could all be 100% wrong. But IBM's balance sheet's actually good, and the stock's got a 5.4% dividend yield. This seems pretty darn appetizing to me while you wait for Whitehurst to work his magic for big blue. Tougher one. General Electric. Last week, Larry Culp, the new CEO of GE, plunked down $2.2 million of his own money to buy his own stock. On the one hand, this is a deeply troubled company. On the other hand, Culp was the old CEO of Danaher, one of my all-time favorites, and an ActionAlertsPlus.com club name. Why? Superb management. Now, GE still has a ton of problems. I mean, the balance sheet needs shoring up. The dividend was just slashed again. That's certainly not confidence-inspiring. It's got a power division from hell, which shows no real sign of turning around whatsoever, not to mention restructuring plan, where I think that they're actually selling the good and keeping the bad. That's terrible portfolio management. Plus, let's not forget that insider buying has led you astray with GE before. Two CEOs ago, Jeff Immelt bought 100,000 shares at 28, on top of 50,000 shares at $29.20, and another 50,000 at $31.40. Stock's now at nine. Ill-advised. That said, Culp's purchase is certainly more informed. We know so much more about the problems at GE now than we did even a few months ago. That's the good news. We, the bad news is we know so much more about the problems than we did a few months ago. Many of the analysts think that these problems are nearly insurmountable or it will take ages to fix, and therefore those solutions aren't worth waiting around for. I like Colt, but it, uh, what does that mean? Too many people have lost money bottom fishing in GE to say, ha, Colt's telling us to sound the all clear. The bell went off by GE. No. But still, I can't ignore his insider buying. Why? Because there was a time in the winter of 2016, really scary time. When J.P. Morgan stock was despised, hated, disliked. Okay, not as much as G's hated right now, but certainly no fan favorite. And that's when CEO Jamie Dimon swooped in and bought 50,000 shares for 26 mil. The price? $53. It was almost the exact bottom. No one knew the stock better than Jamie. In fact, when you add up all of his purchases in the open market, he spent about $55 million picking up 1.5 million shares that are currently worth $162 million. Remember when your parents said the rich just get richer? Well, that's okay. He's actually a decent guy. He tripled his money. I, I can say that. I'm old enough to be able to say that. 
Can I say it? Decent guy. All right? Decent guy. Kind of like the guy. I know it's not about friends. I mean, I could sit here and rail against him, but you know what? He's a smart fella. Ever since the diamond bottom, I've been all over the nose that you can't be too cynical about these big insider purchases. The guy told you to buy his darn stock at 53. How many people have done that for you? Okay, a little fired up about that. How about corporate buybacks? They can matter, too. This weekend, we learned that Berkshire Hathaway repurchased $900 million of its own stock. All right, this was a highly unusual buy, and not just because it was the first one in six years. Berkshire Hathaway had a new, had a now suspended restriction that it wouldn't buy stock at more than 1.2 times book value. To me, this buy says Warren Buffett thinks his stock is too cheap to ignore. Finally, let's not forget the biggest buyback of all. I know an incredibly hated stock, one of the most hated stocks in the world. I mean, one that's despised. Yeah, Apple. It's an incredible repurchasing machine, even though it's completely despised. I got a whole bag of apples. Anyway, last quarter, the company spent $19.4 billion of its own stock at an average price of $209.73. The previous quarter, Apple bought $20 billion worth at $177. Before that, $23.5 billion at $171. That's a monster amount of shares. So then the question is, do you think Apple's back in there buying now at $200 if they paid $209 before? I mean, what do you think? Too dangerous? Too dangerous? Candy Apple? Major Blink. Last week, the CFO, Luca Maestri, told me, yeah, me, like me, that he thought his stock was a better investment than keeping the money in cash and collecting now pretty large amounts of interest on it, courtesy of the eight fa- uh, rate hikes that Fed put through. You think Maestri doesn't know? Uh, you think Maestri doesn't know that uh, like these reports and these papers about orders being pulled for some, uh, you know, one of these uh, phones? As if uh, we haven't heard that story a dozen times all the way up. Yeah, Luca was real shocked at that. Sellers here are probably selling right into the company. I'm not kidding. Hey, where's the arrow? Go ahead, shoot me. What else? Buyers are now reaching for stocks with big dividends and buybacks. They're chewing those pure growth companies in part because of the president's unbelievably fantastic and insightful interview with Axios last night, where he seemed to be leaning toward probing Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet for monopolistic practices. All I can say is be my guest. If you broke up these companies now, I bet it would unlock a lot of value. Okay, in all seriousness, any kind of significant antitrust action seems very unlikely to me. And when the president puts a sell recommendation out on stocks, historically, it's time to buy. Bottom line, if you're looking for a touchstone in choppy waters, it's always worth taking these large insider buys seriously. Although some of them, like IBM, I'm calling more actionable than others, like GE. Hey, why don't we go to John in Texas? John! Hello, Jim. How you doing? I am good, John. How about you? Wonderful, thank you. Just wonderful. Say, Jim, I'd like to thank you for everything you do. You've taught me things that have not only helped me make money, but also to avoid losses. Yeah, like if, you, uh, if you avoid losses and let your win, uh, gainers win, uh, run, you're going to be a wise man. What's up? Well, on October 19th, Honeywell announced that the SEC had opened an investigation into its accounting practices for asbestos-related liabilities. Yeah. Now, one of your rules is accounting irregularities equals sell. So I sold my Honeywell and uh, avoided the other rule of turning a profit into a loss. And took a profit. Uh, you, you, can, you know the disciplines quite well. Yeah, thank you. So Honeywell is now trading about eight points lower than when I sold it. Should I get back in or leave Honeywell enough alone? Thanks. Look, I, Honeywell's had historically some problems with this uh, asbestos stuff. I remember back in the uh, – it, it, uh, really, I'm not kidding. The asbestos thing has been with us forever. Wow, red hot on red flag. And I got to tell you something. I think that it's, it is, it's not a nothing burger because it's asbestos, but I would not have sold Honeywell on that, and I am recommending Honeywell. It's a big, big position for ActionLawsPlus.com, which is uh, our club. 
You can put this stuff on anything, even Apple. Today was as whippy as they come. But if you're looking for totems, consider the inside buys. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, oil markets should be soaring thanks to new sanctions in Iran. But the opposite is happening. I'm offering up the crude reality on crude. Then the president has been fond of referring to a certain paper of record as failing. Trump stock. So now, how is the stock of the New York Times continued higher then? I've got all the news that's fit to print. And can you count on activist investors to secure profits for Symantec? What the company's most recent quarter could be signaling. I say stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. The price of oil would be soaring today with our country reimposing sanctions we're in, but instead it actually closed down on the day. Sell, 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 sell. Uh, that's because in reality, I think crude may be on the verge of rolling over. <laughs> Even if that sounds totally counterintuitive, how is that possible? If you only listen to the major oil companies in those recent conference calls, you'd think this business was firing on all cylinders. We just heard from Exxon, Chevron, and BP. They all had fantastic quarters. Some of the best quarters I can recall in the oil patch. Chevron told us that its cash flow from operations has surged to its highest level in nearly five years. And back then, oil was at 110 bucks a barrel. Price of crude's down more than 40% from those levels. Yet Chevron's generating the same amount of cash. Exxon told us the same story with the best cash flow from operating activities since oil peaked in 2014. The company's investing all over the world. They're growing production like the Exxon of old. In many ways, BP was the most confident. The British oil colossus just boosted its dividend for the first time in almost four years. Management traced out an overview of global inventory declines. They explained that any kind of supply shock, either they mentioned Libya, Venezuela, Iran, could send the price of crude surging dramatically higher. More important, BP told us that, quote, we can't see anything which would majorly move, end quote, oil lower. After opening down, Chevron vaulted higher today, up 3.7%. I tell you what, even though I think Chevron's a terrific company, I think you're getting a fabulous selling opportunity. How am I this bearish on oil when the big integrateds are incredibly bullish? Simple. If oil were really ready to roar, okay? If it's going to roar, then the oil service stocks would be flying here because these companies make a fortune when producers put their money where their mouth is and open the drilling spigot. But that is not happening. Take Schlumberger. The world's biggest and best oil service company with a stock that trades at nearly 52 bucks. Do you know that Schlumberger's shares are actually down about 12 points? from where they were at the absolute bottom in oil. Think about that. 
when crude hit $26 per barrel in early 2016. And don't I know it. Club members of ActionLordsPlus.com know that I am apoplectic about the stock. If crude were really headed higher, slob, as we all call it on Wall Street, wouldn't be within spitting distance of its 52-week low or, or be well below where it was in the dark winter of 2016, right? Hey, same goes for Hal Halliburton, the second largest oil service play. When oil bottomed in 2016, this was a $30 stock, and now it's only roughly a few points higher from there. Weatherford, a smaller competitor, traded at around 5 bucks back then. Now it's a buck and change. company struggles to stay afloat. Ensco, the huge offshore jeweler we love because when we went to the Gulf, it was on an Ensco rig. It has fallen from 11 bucks down to 7 while the price of oil has more than doubled. These stocks in the oil service food chain have been obliterated. That's why I don't take it too seriously when Exxon, Chevron, BP sing the oil market's praises here. If they really believed crude was headed higher, they'd be showering the oil service names with new orders. And look, it's not just the service place. Some very well independent producers have experienced the same issue. Apache and Simrex are great companies, yet their stocks have bounced along the same levels where they traded at the bottom in 2016 when oil was less than half its current price and their balance sheets aren't as good as they are now. This is counterintuitive, people. Even the big integrated oils that are doing so well have lousy stocks. Chevron, after that remarkable quarter, do you know it's still down nearly 5% for the year? BP's fallen to levels where it supports a nearly 6% yield. And while Exxon stock has regained its premium multiple fold, it's still down 2% year to date. Now, I know the usual drill. Oil is a very emotional market. When crude is in the 70s and going higher, it, looks, it always feels like it's going to 100. When it's going in the 60s and going lower, well, it feels like it's headed much lower, maybe to the 50s. But even when you take your emotions out of the equation, there are a host of reasons to believe that oil prices are going down. I know my view is a lonely one, but let me share it. First of all, the United States produces oceans of oil. Uh, we just hit 11 million barrels per day for the first time in history. And it's not like we, get, we got here by discovering whole new oil fields. We're still tapping the same old fields in Texas. Oh, the difference is all technology. There are only two nations that have the power to actually manipulate oil prices by raising or lowering their production on a dime. Saudi Arabia and Russia. We know Russia is committed to keeping prices higher, but it's entirely possible the Saudis have ramped up production as a way to appease our government after the regime murdered that Washington Post journalist. Where does this leave us? This action leads me to a simple conclusion. I think demand for oil is slowing, perhaps slowing enough to cause a major breakdown in price, particularly after it was today on the news from Iran. Well, now, this would be great news for Americans, but it's real bad news for the oil patch. Let me put it like this. If you're bullish on the oil stocks that rallied today, I think you might be making a bad call. Everything I see from the oil service industry and many of the independent producers suggest that we've, we're headed into a worldwide slowdown. And that will inevitably crush the price of crude. While we still have some oil exposure for the charitable trust, making a big bet on energy here is as boneheaded as the Federal Reserve's continued commitment to four more rate hikes. Although at least when you make a mistake with your stock portfolio, the damage is limited to one person. Tom in Louisiana. Tom! Yeah, Jim. Who dat says going to beat them Saints? Who dat? Oh, man, did Brees look good. I actually compared Bob Iger to Ada Brees. Two winners. What's up? Uh, ten years of mad money and a couple recent issues of real money. You have been a longtime advisor and help to my investments, but now my daughter and my son-in-law have switched their 401ks to an IRA and are looking for advice, and I'm sharing with them Kramerisms. My I, like stock today, I like this. <laughs> my stock today is Renewable Energy Group. Hot, hot, uh, hot. Tom, hot, hot, hot. And you know what we think about hot, hot, hot. Hot, hot, hot is too hot for an IRA. 
Why don't we just start with something? Yeah, you know, go with something. If you're going to like the renewable chemicals business, believe it or not, you know whose chemical business is the best? It's Exxon's. I kid you not. They're fantastic. All right, oil, oil, double, and trouble, trouble, trouble. Yeah, you know, whatever. I believe there may be a spell cast on black gold, which signals a global downturn. It's kind of pre-Halloween talk. And we will not be immune. There's much more mad money ahead. President Trump calls it the failing New York Times. Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. But last week's earnings results may suggest the opposite. I'm giving my take on the stock just ahead. Then cybersecurity is one of my favorite themes in this market. You know that, but one previously attractive option has been humbled in the space. Could Symantec look promising once again? Symantec! And it's a company behind some of the coolest toys an adult can buy, so should you consider it a buy yourself? I'll reveal the name when I turn in tonight's homework. So stay with Kramer. Newspapers have recorded history for generations. But in the digital era, can the paper of record turn its celebrated past into a profitable future? If the last year has taught us anything, it's that you need to be aware of unintended consequences because sometimes the unintended consequences are the most important ones. And there's no better example of this than the New York Times or the failing New York Times, as the president never tires of calling it. We all know that President Trump loves to bash the gray lady. But this is one of those situations where all publicity is good publicity. Every time Trump criticizes the Times, he's making it more relevant. And I think that translates directly into more subscriptions. Fifteen months ago, I came right out here and I made exactly that argument. Say what you will about this White House. It generates a lot of news. Meanwhile, The New York Times has taken the Internet by storm. I told you their digital subscription base was starting to generate some serious gains for shareholders, and that made the stock buy. Since then, well, let's say since we pounded the table, get this, the stock of the MIT has run from $19 to $28. That is a mammoth 47% rally. Perhaps more important, while the rest of the market was breaking down last month, the stock of the New York Times hung in there like a champ. Then last week, it exploded higher after the company reported a blowout third quarter. You might even say the New York Times has won so much that it's getting tired of winning. So how did the oldest of old media companies become the ultimate counterintuitive Trump stock, Trump stock? And more importantly, can it keep climbing? First, you need to understand where the New York Times is coming from. For years, the newspaper business has been a... The house of pain. Who wants to buy a newspaper when you can get all your information for free off the Internet? Year after year, the New York Times lost more and more subscribers, and pricing for newspaper ads collapsed. (laughs) Worst of all, it seemed like they didn't even have a plan to solve the problem. But by 2011, the Times finally rolled out their digital paywall, charging people money to read articles online. And that's when things started turning around. However, it wasn't until early last year that the growth from the online conscription business finally surpassed the declines in print advertising. And that's because, frankly, everybody recognized, hey, you know what? I guess this is the new game. You got to pay. Come on, every time you go to a site, you know, you got to pay, right? And that's why I recommended the New York Times last year, and the stock's been such a huge winner. If anything, the story's turned out to be even better than I thought. Companies managed to deliver a number of strong quarters, as the New York Times finally seems to understand that it's an online-based subscription business first, and a purveyor of advertisements second. Even when the headline numbers were less than ideal, like, they, like when they reported in August, the company kept putting up strong digital growth. Fast forward to last Thursday, and the New York Times knocks it out of the park, reporting a quarter that's downright fabulous on pretty much any line item you care to name. 
Paper record earned 15 cents a share. Wall Street was only looking for 11 cents. That's up 25% from last year. Revenue came in higher than anticipated, rising 8.2% a year, uh, year over year. And that's a reacceleration versus the previous two quarters. Most important, the New York Times added 203,000 new digital-only subscribers. They now have more than 3 million digital subs. And more than 4 million when you include the physical newspaper. That's incredible. This is huge. As CEO Mark Thomas explained in the press release, we are executing on our subscription-first strategy. This quarter, subscription revenues accounted for nearly two-thirds of the company's revenues. End quote. Two-thirds! Meanwhile, digital advertising grew at 17% clip, which more than offset any weakness in print. Even management was not expecting that they'd forecast a, a single, mid-single digit decline in advertising revenue. Decline! Instead, it was up 7%. I mean, I got to tell you, that, that's extraordinary. Hey, by the way, while I'm at this uh, praise, I want to uh, give a shout out to uh, Alexia Quadrani from J.P. Morgan. She's been aggressively bullish in the New York Times, and she's been aggressively light, right? And she totally nailed the quarter. Long story short, in recent years, the Times has transformed itself from a failing print operation. Trump stock to a thriving digital media play. And that's why the stock has been such a terrific performer. So how did the New York Times pull this off at a time when so many other newspaper companies have fallen by the wayside? First of all, there is the Trump bump, which never seems to go away. This administration generates a ton of news, doesn't it? Both good and bad. And that helps sell subscriptions, especially if you belong to the Times' core audience of freaked-out Democrats. Now, CEO Scott Thompson tried to downplay this factor when he spoke to our own Scott Wapner on Power Launch last week. He argued that the strength here is really about a return to growth and the fact that the company's executing incredibly well. But then when Scott asked him how the Times is getting so many people to subscribe digitally, well, just listen to what Thompson had to say. I honestly believe the single most important thing is the work that my colleagues in our newsroom and our editorial department do. And, you know, moments in the last quarter, like the Times' coverage of the Kavanaugh hearings, like the article by Anonymous, the op-ed piece about life inside the Trump White House, we can see in our numbers those having a big, big impact on, on, on the daily numbers of people who want to subscribe. Huh? Sure sounds like the New York Times is making a killing from these highly charged political spectacles. The kind of things that seem to happen with far more usual frequency than under, let's say, uh, a usual administration. As much as President Trump may dislike the New York Times, oh, he's great for their circulation. Alexa Quadrani at J.P. Morgan calls this the, and I quote, elevated news cycle. When there's a big story like the midterm election tomorrow or the Kavanaugh hearings, more people are willing to pay up for digital subscription. Let's not overthink this. A heightened interest in the news is very positive for one of the few sources of information that people are still worth paying for. Well, they, they're willing to pay for it. Which brings me to the second source of strength here. The market does love subscription stories. I spent a lot of time thinking about the rise of the subscription economy. Rather than buying discrete products, these days consumers are a lot more comfortable paying for a subscription service. We don't buy music anymore. We get Spotify. We don't rent movies anymore. We get Netflix. And, hey, the New York Times has been in the subscription business since the 1800s. Now, that it's fashionable again and the companies embrace digital where the actual demand is, it feels like we've come full circle. So can you buy the stock here? Frankly, yeah, I mean, I look, some, I guess, but I really like a pullback. Why? Because right now the New York Times sells for 28 times next year's earnings estimates. That's not exactly cheap. That's like a, 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 that's a, like a cloud king. Uh, you don't want to chase the stock after an epic run. Let it come to you. But here's the bottom line. The New York Times 
Trump star, Trump star, Trump star. Has gotten this act together by fully embracing the digital future. And who knows how many Trump haters just buy the times as a statement against the regime. If you get a 5 to 10% pullback, you know what? Bye, 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 bye. Trump stock. John in Pennsylvania. John. Hey, Jim. John here from beautiful Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I love Bethlehem, man. I was there, you know, not before the casinos when the thing operated. What's up? Hey, I'm talking about Zuora. I believe in their story and I have a nice position. Unfortunately, Zuora got clobbered in September and October, along with all the other high growth software as a service companies. I used that downturn as an opportunity to supplement my stock position with some calls that seem to be working well. My question is, can an end of November earnings be pushed war? Uh, yeah, John, John, high? I do think it can. I think that Team Zoo is going to deliver a great quarter. He is the king of the subscription economy. I like the stock. I like him and I like his book. All right. Uninten- unintended consequences are the most important ones. The best example of that is the New York Times winning from the Trump presidency. Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. Buy the stock on a pullback. All right, much more man money. And Symantec has been in the doghouse for quite some time this year. But could activists invest your starboard value right the ship? I'm going to give you my take. Then, good news if the dog ate your homework, I did it for you. And I think you make some money. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. We're always on the lookout for stocks that have been left behind, beaten down names that represent good buying opportunities. I think we may have found an intriguing one for you tonight. Bye, bye, bye! Symantec, S-Y-M-C, the old-school antivirus software company that transformed itself into a real good cybersecurity play. Regular viewers know that I'm a huge fan of the cybersecurity space. As more and more of our data migrates to the cloud and people increasingly live, lar- uh, leave, uh, live large chunks of their lives online, okay, and I know I do, I don't know about you, companies will need to spend ever larger amounts of money protecting all that data. That's what we have all of these companies on all the time. However, within this group, there's been one that's a total dog. It's called Symantec. Stock is now down more than 28% year-to-date, just a brutal hammering, most of which came after management surprised investors with news of an internal investigation into its financials. That was back in May. At the same time, Symantec cut its guidance, so it deserved to get totally crushed, and it's just been a disaster, frankly. And it's easy to see why no one's giving these guys the benefit of the doubt. Symantec had terrible management for years and years. The house of pain. It used to be the Norton antivirus guys, but lately the company's made a series of acquisitions to build up its enterprise and cloud security business. Plus, in 2016, Symantec acquired a company I liked, Bluecoat, a pure play on cybersecurity, and the board handed the company over to Bluecoat's management team. In short, this is not your father, Symantec, even though I think most people don't realize that. So I think this may be a broken stock, but not a broken company. Why? Well, for starters, Symantec told us that their internal investigation had been closed back in September, September and that it would have no material impact on their results. One less thing to worry about. More importantly, over the past few months, the very smart activist investors at Starboard Value have gotten involved. And these guys got a real good track record. Starboard's involvement is a big deal here, but before we get into the specifics, you need to understand how Symantec ended up as a roadkill in the first place. After years of underperformance, the stock was doing okay at the beginning of 2018. 
Then it got hit with a one-two punch of a forecast cut and that audit committee investigation they announced in May. Symantec's guidance was just hideous. They fell short of every single line item of their forecast for both the following quarter and the full year. But it was that nasty investigation that really slammed the stock. Symantec announced that the board's audit committee would be looking into concerns raised by a former employee. They told us they were conducting an internal investigation. They told us they notified the SEC. They told us they might, it might affect the numbers. But we really didn't get much insight into what the company was actually investigating. They even cited the fact that it was an ongoing investigation, so they didn't have to take any questions. It was the most suboptimal conference call. Wow, I was shaking my head. That's a major, major red flag when that kind of stuff happens. The way Symantec laid it all out, there was no way of knowing how bad this would be. We didn't even know what the problem was. So investors furiously dumped the stock. Sell, 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 sell. Nobody needs that kind of risk in the portfolio, which is why Symantec lost a third of its value in a single day. A few days later, management tried to do a little damage control, telling us the allegations related to the company's public disclosures. Uh, Well, that didn't help either. Over the next few months, the stock continued to drift lower. Then starboard value got involved. On August 16th, the Wall Street Journal reported this activist firm had taken a $670 million chump change position in Symantec, and they were agitating to install five of their people on the company's 11-person board of directors. We learned that Starboard has a plan. They want the company to make some major operational changes to boost its margins, especially in its enterprise business. The stock initially popped more than 5% on the news, finishing at 19 and change, slightly below where it's trading today. By mid-September, Starboard had worked out a deal for a plan Uh, that I think was terrific with a board refresh. Rather than going to war with the activists, as so often happens in these situations, Symantec negotiated a deal to give Starboard three board seats and work with them to unlock value. Now, my ears perked up when I hear that Starboard's value has a new investment because this is one of the few activist firms with a really consistent long-term track record, and they tend to do great work once they're in the boardroom. They've had some major successes with Marvell Tech, with Yahoo, with Darden, among many other things. These guys typically get what they want, and what they want tends to be good for the stock price. With Starboard in the mix, Symantec's management knows they need to deliver or else they may need to find themselves new jobs. More important is who Starboard uh, is bringing in. Bringing in a man by the name of Rick Hill. He's a seasoned tech executive with a fabulous record. As a regular guest on Mad Money when Hill was the CEO of Novellus, the semiconductor equipment maker, which he sold for a huge premium, I might add, to Lamb Research back in 2012. Made viewers a ton of money when he did. Many people thanked me for it. Since then, he's served on the boards of many terrific companies like Autodesk, where I think he's helped turn that one around, and Marvell Tech, same deal. While, uh, while Marvell's struggling this year because the semiconductors have fallen out of favor, Hill has helped engineer a real turnaround there over the last few years. That group is just down and out right now. In short, the appointment of Rick Hill to the board of directors next month is a genuine catalyst that makes it much more likely that Symantec can pull off some kind of comeback. Or if not, it's easier to imagine the company putting itself up for sale like Hill did when he was running the Vellas. However, while Starboard's involvement was intriguing, there were too many other problems for me to justify recommending Symantec just on that. Specifically, the numbers were ugly, and there was that nasty audit committee investigation. Do you know what? On September 24th, just one week after Starboard got involved, we learned that the company had concluded the investigation. And based on the findings of an outside accounting firm, management told us that they didn't anticipate any kind of restatements financials. Restatements often the kiss of death. They reclassified $12 million of revenue as deferred revenue. This is, uh, you know, it's chump change. What had been a serious, open-ended problem became something much less serious. On October 26th, then, Symantec filed its annual report for 2018. 
That is huge. I mean, you consider that the stock was obliterated when this problem came to light. The fact that it's only rallied 5% since filing its annual report, I think it's kind of crazy, people. Plus, Symantec pulled, pulled back more than two bucks during the market-wide sell-off. So it's like you're getting these developments for free. However, even with the accounting issue off the table, there was the problem that Symantec just hadn't been doing very well. So that's certainly not a reason to buy a stock, right? But then last Thursday, last Thursday, the company reported, and the numbers were surprisingly good. It was a nice top and bottom line beat. Robust guidance. Put it all together, I think you got a real compelling story here. Plus, Symantec is absurdly cheap. It sells for a paltry 11 times earnings. I think, sure, it's still under a cloud, even as the actual issues that caused the stock to get crushed have been already resolved. Once investors start to realize that Symantec's not having any kind of existential crisis, I bet the stock goes, if not roars, higher. The bottom line, look, Symantec's deserved to sell off hard in May when it cut its forecast and announced that scary investigation that sounded very open-ended. But now the company's results have stabilized. They've got much better. The investigation, it turned out to be a nothing burger. And while all this has been happening, Starboard Value, one of the great activist firms, has gotten involved and brought in a terrific board member, Rick Hill. Oh, boy, there's a lot to like with Symantec. And for whatever reason, people just aren't seeing it yet. However, with Starboard involved, I think the stock will start getting more respect in the not-too-distant future, which makes it a buy. Buy, 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 Right now. Mad Money is back after the break. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Two guys who made all those movies, but no, it, he, they weren't Thomas and Thomas, Kumar. Thomas who were they? Kumar Thomas, and somebody. Thomas bought know. a lot of Salesforce. <laughs> That's Harold and Kumar. Oh, Harold and Kumar. <laughs> Kumar. They, they bought a ton of Splunk. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. It is time. It's time for the light. We're going to talk about Rock Golf. One of those. Bye bye bye. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. We're start with Matt in Virginia. Bye. Boo, boo, booyah, Jim. Sweet. Go, go Buckeyes. Uh, wanted to see what your thoughts on Nokia are. Nokia, no, I mean, come on. We got a lot of quality stocks that are just, uh, look, can it go up? Yes, absolutely. Is it a bad stock? No. Is it the highest quality? No. And I do think you need high quality here. Let's go to Harry in Florida. Harry. Harry. Go on, Harry. Yeah. You bet. You're up, Harry. What's up? I don't know. What's up with you? I just wonder what's going on with, uh, you know, JCI. JCI. I thought you were going to ask me about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, JCI is not a great stock. I don't want you to know. There's so many other industrials that are doing well, and their stocks are struggling. Let's stay away from that one. Steve in California. Steve Arino. Booyah from Redondo Beach. Nice. What's up? Two-part question. Um, we fought WWE World Wrestling Entertainment after you did a great piece on it at 85. Wasn't that fun? It's been knocking way down. All right. We love it, but you know what? Is it time to buy more? Yes. Or should we do yeah, I mean, right it was now? up three today. But yeah, I mean, it got a great subscription business. It's really uh, some of the, it's entertainment that my, that Strauss Selnick introduced us to that actually is a two thumbs up situation. I'm not done. I'm going to Ollie in Florida. Ollie! Booyah, Jim! Nice. Ollie here What's from up? Fort Lauderdale. 
Wanted to ask about the Geo Group. No, I don't like the private uh, prison thing. It doesn't work for me. I think you got to go with other stocks. Don't like the uh, the thief. Let's go to Jared in Wisconsin. Jared. Cramboni, my man. I'm going to Jared. What? Stamps.com has been dropping like a rock for two quarters now. I looked at the third quarter results. They didn't look that bad. What am I not seeing? And can it be bought? It is just no, no. You know that one fifty. I, I I spent literally a weekend trying to analyze that stock, and the conclusion is, yeah, I can't analyze it. And that, ladies and of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I get a question I can't answer. I always circle back to it eventually because my job is to help you become a better investor. I'm a teacher here. This is my classroom. And that's why I'm committed to always circling back to your questions, even if sometimes it takes me too long to get to them. With that in mind, let's do some homework. On August 16th, see, it took a long time. Tim in Pennsylvania asked me about Fox Factory Holdings. Man, F-O-X-F for you home gamers. And I did not know this one. I said I would get back, and here I am. This is a company that makes shock absorbers for everything from cars and trucks to bicycles to off-road vehicles and snowmobiles. Now, this is a brand that's typically associated with high-performance products made from advanced technology, meaning Fox Factory's parts can give you a smoother ride. And they have a bunch of celebrity endorsements from various extreme athletes. Think of this as an aspirational auto parts and specialty whatever parts, okay? Now, full disclaimer. Full, I'll give you a full disclaimer, uh, and this is uh, not going to surprise some of you, but uh, I don't know much about motorcycle racing. I have been on a Harley. Uh, my friend uh, Michael Haley put me on once. It was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened. And I know even less about ATV racing. That I was managed to be able to fall over when I did it in Mexico. They told me it was a feat that no one else has been able to do. That said, I can read a financial statement better than all those other guys. And when you look at the numbers, it's clear Fox Factory has been putting up some darned impressive results. When the company reported last Wednesday it delivered a strong top and bottom line beat, even better management explained how they can keep taking market share in powered vehicles and bikes, which is why the company raises full-year guidance. I'm liking in fact, business is so good that Fox Factory is building a new manufacturing facility right here in the U.S., in Georgia. Keep up with the demand for its products. That's not something you do if you're worried about a slowdown, right? Now, the stocks got crushed like an aluminum can last month, but it's come roaring back since the company reported terrific numbers last week, right when the market bottomed. The good news, Fox Factory is trading at pretty much the same level where it was when Tim asked me about it in August. But is it worth buying here? i got to tell you, normally I would not feel comfortable recommending a stock with auto parts exposure at this point in the business cycle. However, if you believe Fox Factory shock absorbers are truly in a league of their own, you know, like the boots and boot barn kind of thing, then I think, yes, go do it. Only for speculation, but I'm, I'm saying bye. Next up, Rusty in Louisiana. Who dat? Called in about Allscripts Healthcare MDRX on September 5th, and I told him, oh, man, I need to brush up on, brush up on this one before I can give him an informed position, uh, opinion, because, man, it's been a real... <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, Allscripts is a health information technology company with a pretty subpar track record. Anyone who's owned this stock long-term has been disappointed year after year after year. Theoretically, the healthcare technology space has a lot to recommend it, right? But Allscripts is not the way to play it. Stock lost nearly 19% of its value just on Friday. Imagine if we did my homework Thursday and said, buy this thing. Wow! After the company reported a lousy quarter, a top and bottom line miss driven by much weaker than expected margins. Ugh. 
Also, this might seem cheap, but the stock traded barely 12 times next year's earnings estimates. But every time it looked cheap in the past, you know what? It turned out to be a value trap. You know that line about how the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting some different result? At this point, I think it's pretty crazy to bet on Wall Scripts. Why torture yourself? I am telling members of the ActionWatchPlus.com club that I like United Health, UNH. That's the highest quality stock in the cohort, and they've got a good science business, too. Optum. Finally, on August 23rd, Steve in New York wanted to know about Eros International. It's E-R-O-S for you, home gamers. I said I need just a little digging. Well, now we've talked about this one before. Eros is a play on the entertainment market in India. The company's a major distributor of films and television shows with its own online streaming service. In a way, you can think of Eros as a play on the subscription economy in India. The company's streaming service is growing like a weed. The number of paying subscribers more than tripled last quarter. And I think the rising Indian middle class is a powerful long-term theme. Sadly, Apple did not see good numbers in India, and I think that's part of like this overall. That's pretty professional, huh? Eros leaves a lot to be desired. This thing has been crushed in the past few months, and i got to tell you that it's inherently very risky. Think about it. Eros is a wildly speculative Indian company with a stock that's listed here in the United States. There are a lot of ways for this kind of story to go real wrong. To me, Eros seems like it's always going to be a boom or bust situation. But if you're willing to take the risk, if you understand that you can only buy something like this with money you're willing to lose then you actually have my grudging permission to speculate on Euros considering the stock's recent weakness. It came down from uh, nearly 14 to 10 on no real news. Again, this thing is incredibly risky, but if there's ever a time where it made sense to pull the trigger on Euros International, it could be right now. Stick with me. Next Monday, November 12th, is one of my favorite days right here. We are hosting our annual Veterans Day show right in the studio. It would be my great honor to have you here with me. If you have served or are serving, I want you to go to cnbc.com slash Day for free tickets. There it is, okay? I want to see you at this show it was my dad's favorite. He loved it every year. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.